joyful expectation. What does that mean? Um, To build on that, I'll read this quote from St. John Paul II. To know that God is not distant, but close, not indifferent, but compassionate, not aloof, but a merciful Father who follows us lovingly with respect for our freedom. All this is cause of deep joy, which the alternating ups and downs of daily life cannot touch. An unmistakable feature of Christian joy is that it can go hand in hand with suffering, since it is based entirely on love. St. John Paul continues, Indeed, the Lord who is near, to the point of becoming man, comes to fill us with his joy, the joy of loving. Only in this way can we understand the serene joy of the martyrs, even amid trial, or the smile of the saints, full of charity for those who are suffering, a smile that does not offend, but consoles. This is the sense that we get from our first reading from the prophet Zephaniah. Right? In the midst of trial, in the midst of everything that could possibly go wrong. Right? Historically, he's speaking to a people who've been separated from their own land. They've been persecuted, killed, hated. And yet he calls them to rejoice. Why? St. Uh, Paul, in our second reading today, tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. This is the reality of Christianity, that Jesus Christ brings joy into our lives at all times. Right? Not just the happy and the good times, but at all times those times that I'm suffering and those times that I'm hurt and those times that I'm tempted and those times that I'm in pain, Christ brings joy to us. Is my heart at that point? Am I able to rejoice in all things, knowing that the grace of Jesus Christ is present in all things? If I'm not there, St. Paul gives me some clear instruction Have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests to God known. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I remember about a decade back now, I was a seminarian still um, during my theology studies, Um, which is when you're working on your master's degree. And I was meeting with a elderly lady that I bring communion to. And she had gotten to this point that her arthritis was so bad that she had to get weekly steroid shots just to be able to make it through the day without too much pain. She still endured much pain. I remember her talking about how it was hard for her to even say her rosary because she would move the beads in her fingers. It would bring throbbing pain to her hand. And I remember in that moment, there was a moment of inspiration 
um, that clearly it wasn't me that came up with this. And I said to her in that moment, right now, you are the closest to Jesus that you can possibly be because he became one with our suffering. And so I asked her, I said, think of someone right now, someone that you want to pray for. She had a long list of people she'd be praying for every day. I said, let's make a decision at this point right now that all the pain of the next week, whatever it may be, however unbearable it may be, that we tell Jesus right now, that's our prayer for that particular person. And just in that act of the will in that moment, let that become our prayer. In the following weeks, I continued to visit her and she was joyful. And I made the mistake of thinking that maybe her doctor came up with something finally that could solve this pain. So I asked her and she said, oh, no, no, my pain's much worse. My pain's much worse, but it's my prayer now. During that time, I had actually um, began writing my um, dissertation for my master's degree. I decided to write it on redemptive suffering. Um, tip to you, if you, t- if you um, write a long paper on redemptive suffering, you can never complain about it. I didn't think about that when I started it. but right, I was writing a paper about offering it up. You can't complain about it when you're praying about offering up suffering. But what she taught me here was more than I could be taught by studying books or pages. To unite our suffering to that of Jesus Christ. In a couple weeks, Jesus Christ is born into the reality of humanity. The point of emphasis is the reality of humanity. There's a real threat of reducing the Christian faith to a sentimentality, right? Of a greeting card, of a pretty manger scene, of Jesus born into this picturesque world. But that's not where Jesus Christ became man. He became man in a dirty, nasty stable. He was born in a feeding trough. You guys know better than me how bad that smells. He came into the messiness of our humanity. Jesus Christ wants to be with us in that messiness to give us true and lasting joy. Right? Joy that doesn't fade away with the ups and downs of life but is persistent and lasting. So practically then, what can I do? How can I apply that to my life? Let me offer three points. First, to spend time daily in prayer. And I'm not just talking about my prayers before meal or my prayers before bed, right? But do I spend time with and talking to God? Do I take time to speak to him about my fears, my worries, my anxieties? Do I take time to pray with Scripture, knowing that the living Word of God can and speak to those very real areas of my life? 
Second point, thanksgiving. St. Paul tells us to make prayer and thanksgiving. If I look at each day and I see the graces of each day, I found this to be true. The more and more I practice gratitude, the more and more I look for the graces in the day, the more I become aware of even the smallest ones. And soon it becomes clear that God's just not showering one or two graces that are in answering of petitions on upon us, right? But that it's grace built upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. And so number three flows right from that, that we radiate joy. As I become aware that God is pouring that grace upon me, this comes naturally that my heart is turned to joy. Right? We can't possibly be an angry Scrooge when we know how much love is being poured on us. And so that radiates out of us. And if that joy becomes present in me, right, then it can be magnified into the lives of others. God's grace can be multiplied in the lives of others. And that's where St. John Paul II in our beginning quote was talking about. Right? Only in this way can we understand the serene joy of the martyrs even amid trial, of the smile of the saints, full of charity for those who are suffering. A smile that does not offend, but consoles.